When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we got a very special episode coming up. We have an interview with the legendary Giants coach, the first coach I covered on the Giants beat, Tom Coughlin. So we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. Real quickly, I want to touch on the demolition uh, the, of the Eagles put on the Giants the other day, 48-22, to and then we'll get into the Washington matchup, the massive matchup with Washington on Sunday night for the entire world to see really the Giants playoff, I wouldn't say fate, but hopes rest strongly on this game. You win this game, you probably go from about you know 40% to make the playoffs to over 80. So that really shows you how important this game is. Obviously, the two teams tied last time. Now the Giants have to go on the road, play in Washington after Washington had a week off. So clearly advantage Washington, four-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. Now, the Giants are coming off a game where they were just totally outclassed, right? This had nothing to do with coaching. This had nothing to do with Daniel Jones playing poorly. He actually didn't play bad, and they got smoked, smoked. But you look around the field, and I was looking around the field, and I was thinking about this as the game is going on or even a little bit before. The Eagles probably have an advantage. Let's say there's 22 starting spots, offense and defense. The Eagles probably have the talent advantage at Saquon's banged up, so going into that game, you probably give him Miles Sanders over Saquon because he's injured. So going into that game, I give the Giants probably two out of the 22 starting spots. So 20 of the 22 starting, maybe I could throw Julian Love in there. The two guys that I have where the Giants probably have a positional advantage are, let's say, Andrew Thomas at left tackle, although I'm sure Eagles fans would probably even want to argue Jordan Mileta, but Andrew Thomas... My opinion, better player at that spot. And then Dexter Lawrence, better than Fletcher Cox at this point of his career. So those are the two spots I think the Giants have starters that the Eagles would take. Now maybe Julian Love made an awful play in the game. Really, that's one of the things that bothered me about after the game is that they're sitting there telling us, and it's Brian Dable and Julian Love, yeah, I thought I had the interception. Yet we get it. We understand you thought you had the interception. That's fine. But in that spot... It's stupid to go for the interception in the first place. That's the mistake. It's fourth down. They're throwing the ball downfield. It's deep in the Giants' own territory. You don't need to go for the interception. Instead, Devontae Smith jumps in front of Julian Love, who's going for the bucket catch behind him, runs in for a 41-yard touchdown. Game, set, match, 14-0. Over. Game was over. Game was probably over. I sent a text to one of my text groups. At 7-0, say we might as well just go home now. The Giants can't fall behind in that environment against that kind of team. Where they're at that such a massive talent disadvantage. The other thing that, that drove me nuts is, can the Giants stop teams from running at their edges? I counted 11 runs of 10 or more yards for the Eagles in the game. Nine were at the Giants' edges. Teams don't even run up the middle. We don't even need to run up the middle. We'll just run at the tackles, run off tackle. Their linebackers, brutal, brutal. Their edge rushers, not doing a good job, not containing. And even when they did contain, 
Jihad Ward's getting outrun to the edge by Jalen Hurts. Again, talent disadvantage. No shot. Literally had no shot in that game. They would need an absolute mirror. They would need to play their A-plus game and have the Eagles play like their D game. Almost like what happened when the Eagles lost to Washington. Think about it. Eagles played awful. Turned it over, I believe, four times and still almost won the game. So that's the beauty of playing with a talent advantage, right? The margin for error is great, whereas the Giants' margin for error, and we've seen this start to come to fruition lately, was so slim early in the year. Now they're, they're making those mistakes, and they're playing better teams, and we're seeing the results. One win in five games, which brings us to Washington. We'll get an update on Saquon as we go on this week, but I'd be stunned if Saquon Barkley did not play and play a big role and get back to a more of a regular role that we're used to seeing him. Knowing the stakes in this game, knowing how much it bothers him, the perception that people say he's injury prone, right? Think about it. He wanted to be on the field in that game. He was. There's no way he was sitting in, sitting out against Philadelphia. I know people are like, oh, they needed him to sit out. It was for the betterment of the team. Would have been better, healthier for Washington. Yeah, I get it. But A, he's cleared. And B, he's just not going to do that. No chance. He hates this stigma that's out there about him, that he's injury prone. One time he tore his knee. The other time he stepped on somebody's foot. To be fair, that's a tough way to earn an injury-prone designation. The other one, he sprained his ankle. Somebody landed on his foot. So think about that. He'd rather you say he's playing poorly, and I had this discussion with him in a few weeks back. He'd rather you say he's playing poorly, which he said he was and is, than say that he's injured. Because he doesn't want that injury-prone designation or tag on him. Not sure he's going to be able to outrun that. He plays a position where he gets beat up. He's playing 80-plus percent of the snaps. Guys get injured at that position all the time. It's not him. It's the position. Name me a running back who doesn't get banged up. Good luck. But now, this game for the Giants is pretty much everything. Although Seattle helped him out. I mean, Ben McAdoo and uh, Sam Darnold and Carolina actually helped him out. Beat Carolina. Giants seek to find two wins. This game, and if get this game and it's pretty much over. Pretty much just need, you know, one more win. Week 17 and 18. We've talked about 18. Who, who are the Eagles playing at that point? Right? They're going to have the whole NFC locked up, a buy on the horizon. Nick Sirianni, their coach, has been super conservative with playing guys in the preseason already. Do we really think he's going to go out there and play his guys four quarters in a game that means absolutely nothing to them? I'd find that hard to believe. Maybe they play a quarter, maybe they play a half. Talking about week 18. Maybe play a quarter or a half. But if you're changing those guys out, which or not playing them at all, you obviously don't care about the result. The result's not important. It's not a priority. So that's likely the way week 18 is going to be. So three winnable games for the Giants. Five left. Need two. See if they can get it. Washington, a huge one. Four and a half point favorites over the Giants. Probably a slightly more talented team, but way more equitable than we saw last week against Philadelphia. This is not, and I know people say they're hot, they eke out games. This is not a great Washington team. Giants actually had a, had their way with their offensive line. They were able to actually run the ball a little bit, uh, although... That Washington front is legit. They have their way with the Giants' offensive line. I'll take Daniel Jones over Taylor Heineke, but I take Washington's weapons over the Giants. Terry McLaurin, obviously, significantly better than anyone on the Giants. I was talking about receivers. Running back, they got a nice one-two punch. Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson. Giants have Saquon Barkley. Even if it's a slightly compromised Saquon Barkley, then all of a sudden you're worried about the Giants because they can't survive without Saquon Barkley being at the top of his game. They're just not good enough. Well, Gary Brightwell and Matt Breda are going to scare the opposition. 
Saquon demands respect when he's on the field. Even a banged-up Saquon. He, does, he demands the attention of defenses. There is nobody else on the Giants that can do that. Every team should have like two or three guys like that. Giants have one. Second guy that demands the attention is Daniel Jones because of his legs. That's only because they don't have anyone else. So they have no choice but to go there. So huge game this week. Huge game this week. We saw a lot of huge games in the past when Tom Coughlin was was the coach. Let's ask him about that. On to the next one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, we're going to welcome in a special guest. Uh, The first coach that I covered when I came over to the Giants, the legendary Tom Coughlin. Tom, how you doing? Two-time Super Bowl champion. Obviously, we know the resume. Uh, now an, an author again, right? A giant win is the book. So tell me, Tom, first of all, let me offer, let me start with this. I uh, offer my condolences on your, on your amazing wife, Judy. Uh, you know, I, what I know of you, what I saw you, my thing is that after every game, no matter what, I remember Judy with her arm around you walking out the stadium every single time. That no That's, doubt. that's what I think of first when I think of that. Well, you, if you saw her down by the locker room, every player that came out, win or lose, she had her arms around him, gave him a big hug. Uh, that was just Judy, you know. Yeah. Radiant smile, great attitude, tried never to be down, always, always tried to be a very positive force, did not like anything other than positivity. And uh, and she just and, – and, and she radiated that. I mean, she's got friends everywhere. And uh, – and people loved her everywhere she went. You bring up that positivity. I'll tell you real quick. I, the first time I met her, Tom, I had a little conversation. I introduced myself. And at the end, I said to her, you know, I'm the guy in the pink shirt. And she uh, she shot me a glance and she's like, oh, I heard about you. But guess what, Tom? She was still nice to me and we had a nice conversation. So, you know, she's always positive because she was still willing to be nice to me after that. If she she's found that out way, was. she's <laughs> that way. Yep. So let me ask you this about the book, A Giant Way Forward by Eli Manning. Why did why did you want to write this? Like, what was what was the thinking for you behind it? You've written books before. Right. But why this book? Well, number one, I think it's the greatest Super Bowl of all time. And it certainly is the greatest upset of all time. And it's a great football game. It is a game between a team led by Tom Brady and Bill Belichick who already have recorded history for themselves. 
the greatest offensive machine in the history of the NFL, an undefeated regular season, um, and uh, actually fourth in the league on defense in many of the categories as well. So really a good and a well-rounded football team with the uh, the greatest defensive mind in the history of the game as the head coach. So um, it was, it's coming up on 15 years. You know, when you're living it, you don't really have a chance to expound on it. And what we did this time, um, Greg Hanlon and I, is we took the time to talk about the things that are not known by the fan, the the, the details, the uh, the how did it happen kind of thing. It was what, what was the, what was the thinking? Uh, so those were the kinds of things that we uh, reveal in this book, along with the, the great plays uh, in, in that particular game. One of the things that really stuck out to me was the whole Plaxico situation about how you guys, yeah. he was really that close to not playing in that game. He was, I'm telling you, 20 minutes before I had to turn in the inactive list, I didn't know if he was going to play. He went out with Ronnie. I didn't, I, I never watched those things. I just bring, come back in and tell me whether the guy's going to play or whether he's not going to play. In Ronnie came, he's playing and quickly Ronnie was gone because we were in, we were within 10, 12 minutes of going out and he right. had more duties in the training. So, but I didn't, I, I honestly didn't know because if you remember the story, uh, Plaxico was hurt most of the year. He had a yep. ligament, Ligament damage. Didn't practice a lot. Couldn't practice. And so we get out there. He slips supposedly in the shower. I I have no reason to believe, but that's not what happened. Hurts his knee. All right. And now can't practice out there. And so this thing prolongs. And and now we don't know whether he's going to play. But his presence in the game, again, was a huge factor because, don't forget, he's coming off an 11-catch amazing game in Green Bay, Wisconsin, at minus 24, where he and Eli hooked up 11 times in that game. And he was uh, the the factor in the game, the X factor in that game. Yeah. And, and of course, he obviously catches the game-winning touchdown in the end. The little uh, slant and go kind of deal. Uh, Ellis Hobbs, they get him, they get him to bite. Yeah. And uh, there you go. That, now, what stood out to me also is that you had Eli right to forward. Uh Tell me why? Why did you go? Why did you want him to write the forward? And really, the more I read it, the more I realize how special and tight that relationship is, specifically with him. Yeah, well, no doubt. Uh, you've got uh, Eli Manning, uh, two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP. So, what better person to, you know, to share the book with or ask him to write the forward than the guy who, you know executed that last drive and uh, the thing I enjoyed and I thought you were going to bring up is they come out of the huddle and Eli says to Plax, Plax, if you're one-on-one out there, I'm coming to you. Right. And sure enough, in a game where Plaxico was doubled an awful lot, you, you caught a situation that was an all-out blitz and because it was an all-out blitz, the ball was coming to Plaxico. And you know that in an all-out blitz, in a blitz zero, if for example, you're reading that as a sight adjustment. That is a slant. And that's why uh, Hobbs drove on the slant. Uh, but when we came out of there, uh, that was a part of the fade that uh, was going to be executed by Plaxico. 
And, you know, he got behind him so easily, he actually turned around and braced himself up. Because sometimes when you're that wide open, you, you know, you can be mesmerized. And uh, that's what he did not want to happen. And from my perspective is, when's the ball coming down? You know, is it ever going to come down? You know, because Eli right. lost it. At, and you know, he's, at, you know he's wide open at that point. Wide open, yeah. And, you know, when you talk about Eli for a second, I was kind of surprised when I read, because remember, you you brought it, up, brought it up a bunch, that Baltimore game of his rookie year. Yeah. Right. He got he got smashed. You guys got smashed. It was a rough a rough outing for me. I think I believe he, he didn't even finish the game, if I remember correct. I think he took wow. him out. He was uh, frustrated. He was very frustrated. But you mentioned that several times as the point that you knew he was the guy. Yeah. Explain that, because that that to me caught me by surprise, Like because that game was obviously, I'm sure, super tough on him and you guys to watch. And then. At that moment is when you know he's the guy and he's going to end up being, you know, what you guys thought he was when you drafted him. Well, he's going to get – he's getting ripped in the paper. You know, all the media people are, are are tearing him apart for the game. He doesn't play well. He doesn't react well to the speed of the game. He has no personal answers for the pressure or the blitz. He's really not seeing anything anymore. It's happened so often to him. And you know – Players don't want to come into the head coach's office. They, they don't want to be called to the head coach's office. Right. Eli's not called to the head coach's office. He comes before everybody on that particular morning, and he's boom, boom. I hear the knock on the door, and he comes, and he sits down, and he is as sincere as anybody you've ever talked to. He's upset. He's close to tears. He's telling me that he knows it was not a good performance but he also knows that he can be the New York giant quarterback and he can lead us to a championship. And of course he did not just once, but twice. Uh, you should have, it should have been three times. Yeah. You're, you're still, you're team. still worried about, you still hold that 2008 as your one missed yeah. opportunity, huh? We were, we were really a good team and we yeah. were well balanced. We were very well balanced. Your son-in-law, Chris Snee, once told me he thought that was, that was your best team by far, that 2018. We ran, we ran the ball so well that year. Yeah, you could do it all. And obviously the whole Plaxico thing went down. You guys were kind of on a slide late in the season, and it didn't work out. But you still have two Super Bowl championships, right, on your resume. You took Jacksonville, uh, an expansion franchise, built them up second year, I believe it was, uh, AFC championship game. Yep. So the resume is there. Two times in five years we were in the champ AFC championship. Two times game. in five years. Won 14 games in, in 1999. When we went back there, what was it, 2015? They had the reunion, remember that? Uh, yeah. of, of one of that Jacksonville, the first uh, AFC championship team. That was that was quite a day. I'm, I'm, the game wasn't great, I don't think, for you guys. But uh, sure. that, that, was, that was a great day leading up to it. Um. You ever think, though, with that resume, that the Hall of Fame might come calling for you? Well, you don't think about it. You know that that's really not when you're when you're young. And I know personally what what I really wanted about the NFL was the fact that I wanted to compete against the very best. So my first job was in Philadelphia with Marion Campbell, and we played against the likes of Parcells, Joe Gibbs. 
Tom Landry, you know, I mean, how do you get any better than that? And so we were, we were, I was in a position to compete against the very, very best in the game. And then when I went to Green Bay, Forrest Gregg was the head coach and we were still in that position. Ditka, Mike Ditka was in Chicago. You know, it was just a, a, a who's who of, of, of great scenarios, great coaches, great opportunities to, to work against and compete against the very, very best. So that's, that was what I wanted. And, and then to be there and to be a part of, of, you know, 90, we won the Super Bowl in New York um, with uh, Bill and, and, and that, that team. And, uh, and I was thrilled to be a part of that too. It gave me great confidence going to Boston college as the head coach. So, yeah, you know, you don't think about things like that until you right. get to an age where you do think about it, you know? I mean, I've just had a very good friend in Dick Vermeil go into the hall of fame. And, uh, and I was really, really happy for Dick and, I had the opportunity to go out and be a part of that, watch that ceremony with Tony Baselli, the first player drafted in Jacksonville. Right. Jaguars and player, yeah, yeah. My, you know, I was in charge of personnel. I drafted him. And, uh, and to see Tony go in the hall and then to see Dick go in the hall was a wonderful thing. So, I mean, it crosses your mind. And, every, and people such as you who are in the business, when you ask those questions or ask to reflect on that, uh, it's a tremendous honor to yeah. be in the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about it. Well, I think that time is going to come eventually. It's an archaic process the way we go about it and come you know, to these uh, nominees and everything. But I, I do think that there will be a time when that comes. So uh, what would that mean to you? Well, obviously, all the things that I've just said, you know, it, it would mean that you are uh, considered in the elite of your profession. And anybody who is any in any business wants to be the best in their profession. And, and it would be a very humbling experience. Uh, uh, and obviously, my family and I would, would cherish that. But I don't, I don't reflect on that every day. You did mention in the book, and you just said there about, you know, you, you wanted to go against the best and be the best. You mentioned in the book in 92, the Giants called you about that i guess that was right after the ray hanley eventually that that job went to dan reeves how seriously did you contemplate at that point that kind that job and uh making making the jump to the nfl at that point well i was very obviously it was a i was i was humbled to think that that the giants would be interested you were in boston college at the time i should mention that as well i was the head coach of boston yep. college yeah but i had just had uh, my first team Boston College had lost for five straight years when I took the head coaching job. And we lost my first year, but we got it on the on track. The second year we were in a bowl game, but Tennessee beat the heck out of us. And I didn't feel good about that. So I I was not happy about where I was. And, and I really didn't want to leave that team at that time because I did not think that my job had, you know, been completed. Uh, so, I mean, I did not. Uh, get involved in those final decisions for that job because I, I really wanted to make sure that the job that I had taken at Boston College was going to be uh, something I could be proud of. Right, and obviously you had some you had success at Boston College, took care of Notre Dame. Uh, that was that was a, sort of the signature win, uh, number one Notre Dame at the time. Then eventually ended up coming back to the Giants after the Jaguars. Now, going back to your upbringing. I was I love the fact that so you're you didn't go by Tom Coughlin growing up. Is that no. correct? 
You were Tom Coughlin. Yep, that's the way it was said in my hometown. <laughs> Coughlin was the way it was said. So when I did you the- say it that way? Like when someone asked you, how do you pronounce your last name? You said Coughlin? When I was in high school, yeah. yeah. But I got to college, <laughs> and, the, and the public address announcer at Archbold Stadium used to say it, Coughlin. And the way that the Irish pronounced it, from County Cork, the nuns pronounced it the same way, and I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. So I said to my my grandmother, my 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 fraternal grandmother, um, who was a halfy, who was 100% Irish, I asked her if it was okay if if I had the name pronounced the way it's spelled, Coughlin, and she gave me permission, and so, you know, my dad gave me permission, and so I told the people at Syracuse, this is the way. I wanted the name pronounced, and that's the way it was pronounced. <laughs> so to people that you knew growing up, did they always call you Coughlin, or did they oh, yeah. change to Coughlin? They still do. Most they of them st- still do. Yeah. You're still you're still Coughlin? I still am back there. <laughs> and and you were all right with that. You just you just changed the way you said it to everybody as well? I changed the way people saying my name said it. But you, so you, what about you though? I did it too. I did oh, okay. it. Okay. That's what I mean. You conformed also. And my kids the same way. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I, I really, I really like that. Um, tell me about your upbringing. You, you talk a lot about that. I mean, I wasn't surprised to hear you were the serious child. I was, you... I was the oldest of seven. Okay. You know, a very humble family, Irish Catholic family. Went to parochial grammar school, was an older boy was the master of ceremonies at midnight mass in both uh, Christmas and Easter. Um, you know, I had a, had a grocery route, had delivered groceries for the Grand Union, and, uh, you know, snow, sleet, hail, whatever it was, the groceries had to get to the widows. And so I was the, I was the grocery delivery boy in town. And, uh, you know, obviously athletics were the, were the uh, I was raised on athletics, uh, you know, Little League, Basketball, we were a basketball town at first, but I came through uh, high school with a really great class, and we we were champions in football, basketball, and baseball. So those experiences were great. Ho-hum, ones. ho-hum, you know. Look yeah. at me. Not I was ho-hum. a great athlete, won a lot of championships. <laughs> yeah, well. And, of course, you played at Syracuse I in did. a pretty loaded backfield. So you had a pretty – accomplished playing career. I, I think most people don't realize that at this point. Well, at Syracuse, it took 11. You know, we had to have 11 guys play, so they oh, so I got, stop I got it. to play. So I, got I to heard, play. and I, I mean, more than I, likely I read, at the time you had the all-time record for receptions by the time you left, in a season. In a season. I did. So I did. let's not downplay it too much. Uh, before we go, I'm curious these days how much you watch the Giants. What's a, What's a football Sunday like? For Tom Coughlin these days, you sit down like the rest of us, watch well, and yell at the TV. To be honest, um, I, I would I'm very. I was interested. The game the, the, we get the local game. You know, right. I'm in Florida here. We get the Jaguar game, and uh, I've watched probably the last two or three of those as they've gotten better, with the exception of the one week that they they did not. But I've watched that, and I uh, I find myself ending up on Sundays, uh, despite me saying I'm not going to do it, watching all three games, you know, the one o'clock, <laughs> four o'clock, and the late game. But what I can do is I've got a treadmill downstairs, 
and I and with a television, and I can watch a segment of the game while I exercise, which I definitely okay. do. Yeah. But I can imagine I you commenting on what you think went right or wrong as you watch. Am I right or wrong on that? Like, are you are you a quiet watcher? Or are you always? I'm a quiet opining? watcher until something is ridiculous, and then I <laughs> and then I can't help myself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, th that that seems about right. Um, you know that uh, my first podcast, the name of it was Talk is Cheap. That was always a, a favorite line of yours. Yeah. Talk is cheap, play the game. I need to know, though, where you got that from. Did you just – is is that something you had heard from somebody else that sort of I might came up with that phrase along the way? Because it, it's, yeah. a, it's a regular for you, right? That That's your staple oh, right there. It's a classic because – and, and really, it became very, uh, very prominent uh, in those years because occasionally I would have to kind of get Brandon Jacobs under control. Brandon, Brandon, God bless him. <laughs> great, great player, very loyal, you know, wonderful guy for your team. But he talks a million miles an hour, that guy. And I was some most of the time I'd have to say, Brandon, talk is cheap, buddy. Play the game. Play the game. Let's go. Saddle up, put your mouthpiece in, you know, <laughs> catch your breath, save your energy, you know. But uh, I'm sure somewhere along the line, I heard the first part of it. But I, I mean, yeah, I finished it. I don't remember ever seeing that whole quote, but talk is cheap. We all have heard it. But right. play the game, play the game was my way of moving on. Right. That was your way of you know, turning the page, getting to taking it, you know, moving it forward. Kind of, let's yeah. go. You know, let's so, go. So you got the book, A Giant Win. Uh, written with with Greg Hanlon forward by Eli Manning. Uh you've had you've gone on a little tour here. So how how enjoyable has that been for you? You know, you're getting to go on Good Morning America with your old buddy Michael Strahan, who you call the greatest natural leader you ever met. I believe mm -hmm. I saw you coming out of the facility. You made an appearance on the Eli Manning show? Uh no, Eli has a a podcast, so he and I did that from from the giant uh, facility. Oh, okay, the podcast. Not not the show with him in O'Hara. This is uh they didn't well, have you do a comedic bit on there. About that. I asked if Sean was supposed to be there, and he said no. So I, I don't know. That was internal. I'm not sure how they came to it, but they did. It was. What's Eli. that been like for you? You get to go around and you see these guys. I mean, that obviously plays such a special him. part in in this yeah, win in particular. My, my former players, I love seeing those guys and reminiscing. And it was gr great fun talking to Michael Strahan the other day, and you know his you know his sense of humor. He picks up the book and he. And he shows it out into the world, and he goes, "Of course, I'm not on the cover, but you know." <laughs> and Tom's showing the book right now, by the way, his, on Zoom. He takes a shot, you know, that way, and uh, and he still can't he still can't believe he he doesn't understand the five minutes early. He still doesn't. He's I was two minutes early, three minutes late, or however he said it. And, uh, and I said, Michael, the clocks are set five minutes fast. Five minutes early. So how, how, you know, what is it? You know, and so we have fun about that too. So your clock, get, let me get this right. It's still, if your watch right now, we're talking right now, it's 11.04 on my watch. Does your watch say uh, 11, five minutes, it's 11.09? My clock says 11.11. I'm 11, 10 so, minutes I'm 10 yeah. minutes you're, you is that has that evolved over the years? I mean, how, how do you get to be 10 minutes now? I have the perfect Hello. watch. It runs fast. So I have the perfect watch. So if I set it at five and I give it a week, it's already going to be 10 minutes fast. <laughs> that's what Strahan has. Strahan has it 10 minutes fast. 
There you go. See, you're rubbing off. It's worked for him. I think he's done all right for himself. He's he's, <laughs> he's doing he's, he's doing all right. Gold I mean, gold everything gold. that guy touches is him and Eli's. Everything is gold. They yeah. touch it, it's gold automatically. They deserve it because they're they're willing to go out there and within reason they will do anything. You know, I remember when, and I always remind Michael of this. I, I would turn on um, uh, Kelly and Michael. You know, in the beginning, he'd have mm -hmm. a skirt on. He'd have a skirt on or something because <laughs> you know, he was having fun with it. And 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 Eli's done the same things in his little deals with with uh, Peyton. Yeah. Well. They're having a ton of success, and so are you, Tom. Every uh, you, you've you've had quite a life and uh, quite a career. You should be very, very proud. And I, I'll I'm going to apologize for showing up and asking you all the time when you were going to retire. It wasn't my <laughs> fault. My boss was kept was insisting that I ask you. So no, it was, it, I'll take the blame for it. But it wasn't really me that was driving. You know, I I tell the story about a bunch, Tom. So that member that Jacksonville game we were talking about earlier. You know, it was a disaster. The end of, Unfortunately, end, I do. Yeah. yeah. John Mara at the end of the game uh, and afterwards said, you know, I, I was thinking about I wanted to fire the whole organization after that game I was on the bus ride home. But so that game is one of my biggest regrets because I had a story written because you guys were crushing them at halftime. I had a story written how you were still getting the play for you. They were all playing hard. And all of a sudden the game flipped and I had to have something written by the time it was done, I had two minutes to flip and write a story. And I wrote that it was time to move on and, and change. And that was my biggest regret that I that I wrote that, that I shouldn't have wrote that, that I flipped that quickly in the middle of the game from you're doing a really good job to it was time. It was time to, you know, start a new a new thing there. So I apologize for that one, too, Tom. Hope you accept my apology. That's a no comment. <laughs> right on cue appreciate it tom Thanks, i really man. do good luck with the book a giant win by tom coffin with greg hanlon forward by eli manning have a good day this podcast is proud to be supported by jets pizza the number one pick in detroit style pizza why it's simple jets is better with the thickest crispiest cheesiest detroit style pizza in the country there's no competition Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Ah, that was a lot of fun right there. TC Tom Coughlin. Nice little dig at the end there, too, with the no comment. Love it. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta, it's got to be a give and take. Can't just all be one way. I can't just sit there and poke fun all the time. He's, he's got he's to be able to have the opportunity to come back. So there, there we go. Tom Coughlin, you got a, a good taste of what that relationship is like. 
uh, between Tom and myself right there. That was a lot of fun. Uh, really, a lot of memories about uh, Tom Coughlin and covering the Giants. Now, granted, I wasn't there for the good years. I was there for the bad years. So this is I'm going to make this the Jordan on the Beat segment. This is the part of the podcast uh, where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ESPN, or cover the NFL in general. So... Real quick, I'll tell you, uh, I kind of mentioned it there, and I probably mentioned it here on the podcast before. So the reason that the relationship between Tom Coughlin and myself was, let's say, rocky at the beginning, and I, you know, the whole pink shirt story, I've told that one before, uh, was because so I come on the beat. So when I first cover the Giants, it's the 2013 season. They're already, I believe, 0-6. Get off to a horrible start. 0-5, 0-6 whatever they got, smashed by Kansas City. I don't know, a bunch, bunch of Carolina. And uh, I come that season, and it's a bad season. And they're on the decline. This is the beginning of the decline. You could see it coming. And my editor at the time, Kevin Manahan, used to always be like, tell me, I, you know, I needed to ask him if he was, you know, going to think about retiring. So I'm this younger guy at the time, I guess. And I'm, I show up, and the only question I seem to be asking Tom Coughlin on a regular basis in his mind is me asking about retiring, which, of course, nobody wants. Nobody wants to be asked about. Hey, you going to retire? You, uh, you look like you're ready to retire. Your team's falling apart. You retiring? You know, now, granted, it's not the way I phrased it, but big picture, that's what it was. So you could see why he was frosty towards me at first when I first showed up. Not sure that ever changed too much. I like to get under his skin. We, you know, you could poke Tom Coffin. That was the beauty of Tom Coffin. You could poke him until he would get to the point where he was just going to explode, right? Like, hey, uh, when Odell first came, I remember, you know, he was getting questions after question after question of, like, when's he going to play? Because he had that hamstring injury. When's he going to play? Is he going to come back? You want him to come back. And you just, like, it's like poking the bear. You boop, 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 poking that stomach, poking that stomach until finally he's like, of course I want him to come back and play. Of course we want him on the field. Of course we want to see what he could do. You see, you always knew. If you kept prodding Tom Coughlin, you were going to get stern, uh, you know, animated, snarky Tom Coughlin, which was always good and always entertaining. So it was actually a lot of fun, uh, and I do regret. I always tell, I've told that story here, too. When I fi- quickly f- wrote the column saying he should be fired, after that Jacksonville loss. Then he ended up staying another year. To switch from one end of the spectrum to the other so quickly is one of my biggest regrets covering the Giants so far. So, all right, that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Huge game this week. Massive matchup. Giants-Washington. Playoffs on the line. Sunday night, the entire nation is watching. It's going to be fun. It is. Yeah, last week wasn't fun. It was a demolition. Wasn't, two teams aren't even on the same stratosphere. But these two teams, fairly equitably matched. So it's going to be a ton of fun. Giants-Washington, Sunday night. We'll talk about it next week on Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. <laughs>